Um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 7 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the suffering and the afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to captives, and to open the eyes of the blind. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor to them has come. The time of God's favor to them has come. You should be really happy about that. And the day of God's anger against their enemies. He has sent me to all who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. Then they will be called oaks of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord, so that he might display his glory. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Then they will restore the places destroyed long ago. Then they will renew the ruined cities, the places destroyed generations ago. Then your enemies will come to care for you. You shall be called priests of the Lord, ministers of your God. You shall be fed with the treasures of the nations and and shall glory in their riches." Listen, this is our promise. Our promise is that, man, when God, when we begin to really get real with God and really be transparent with God and really say, God, this is the state of where I am and this is what is hurting me. When we get to that place, there is an exchange that happens. And then God begins to pour out all of the blessings of God. The things that were hurting you and breaking you are no longer hurting you and breaking you. In fact, there's a double portion promise that comes to us that things are going to be not just okay, but things are going to be awesome. And how do you say that when you look at your current situation? How do you look at your life and what's happened in your life, whether it's, it's come because of your fault or not your fault? How do you look at that and go, still, God, you're going to do good things? You know, this is, this is the, uh, the promise in the Bible. In John 16, 33, it says this. And I, um, I'm going to read it out of the NIV first. It says, I've told you this so that my peace will be with you. In the world you will have trouble, but cheer up. I have come to overcome the world. I've overcome the world. But listen to it in the, in the Passion Translation. It says, and everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me, this is Jesus talking, the peace that is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. Meaning we're not having to fight and do all of these tricks and and things to get God to work for us as we rest in him. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. This is the fact, and we don't want to put this on, our, on a magnet, on a refrigerator, or write it on our wall, but trouble will come. You are either a person in this room that's in the middle of trouble, or you've had trouble and you've come through it, or you're about to face some trouble. That's just the way it is. But this is the promise, is that you're not going to stay in that state. God's promise is that through him, through his peace, through resting in him, through what he's done on the cross 2,000 years ago, it, it brings us the victory that we're all looking for. Right? Right? Right. All right. You know, um, I'm going to share a little bit about my story. I know um, there's um, some of you in this room that know what my family and I have gone through, um, but for those of you that don't, and even if you do, I just want to give God some glory because God's a good God. But, you know, uh, I'm, uh, gosh, way back in the day, 
<laughs> I'm not even going to give you dates like Carlos did because, wow, that's going to really date me. Um, but, um, you know, I, I found myself in a very broken state. Um, and I was having a really tough time in life in general. And um, I had some people in my life. I had an, an aunt and uncle who were in Bible college that pretty much when I gave the phone call and said, I don't know what to do, they knew what to do. They put me in connection with a church. Um, I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and they put me in a church that was in Vancouver, Washington, just across the bridge. And they connected me with some people that were going to help me. And they connected me to a church. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I went twice to the church and sat in the parking lot and listened to the music. It was a little old, tiny church. And I, I just sat there, and I, I didn't even have the guts to go in because I felt like, how could God, like, deal with the brokenness that I, that I had? Um, I was a single mom, and uh, I was just hurting. And, and through that, I, I just gave my life back to God. I um, established a, a church family that I could count on. Um, my son, Lance, got saved in that church, got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that church, all because of a youth pastor who was really hot. And uh, he was, uh, you know, he just, <laughs> when they're anointed, they're always hot. So girls just, where's my uh, young adults here? Um, you just have to start to see fruit in their life um, before you decide to date them. And so anyways, he and I um, struck up a friendship, and, uh, and I, you know, fell in love. And I didn't think I would. I thought, you know, I was going to just be a single mom for the rest of my life. And, uh, and there was good things about it, but it was really hard. Um, and we got married. And uh, when we got married, we got married for a couple of reasons. One, because like I said, he was really hot. Um, but the other reason was when we began to talk about the call of God on our life, we felt like there was like this thing that we could do together. Like, man, when we, when we, when we get married, there's things that we wanted to do for God. It was just so, like, that was our life mission. And we decided, and, and even on our wedding day, when we left uh, the reception, there were some things on our mind. But the main thing that, was, that we talked about was the fact that we were really going to do something and affect the kingdom of God. We had a call to young people. We believed in the next generation. We just, we felt like this is where we were headed. So when we moved to Fresno years later and, uh, and started here, um, God told us a couple of things. He said, number one, just catch the vision of the house. Go and sit. And that was hard for us because we were doers, right? We wanted to get in there and start serving and do things. But we knew that there was like, there was just a healing that God wanted to do in us. And he really wanted to connect us to this church. Well, one day after service, pastor saw my husband walking across the parking lot and he pent, uh, bent down to pick up some trash and God spoke to pastor and said have you considered uh, my servant Jonathan and so pastor brought us in on a Wednesday night and uh, just began to talk to us about building children's ministry and, and I was kind of shocked because I didn't even know if I liked my own kids I was um <laughs> there's some truth to that um, <laughs> if you knew Taylor when he was four you would know there's some truth to that um, but uh, man God it, the problem was is that I was just insecure as a mom if I'm being real I just didn't feel like as a mom I was able to do um, or, or be that perfect mom I it, thank goodness there was not Instagram because people would have seen my kids eating cereal with no milk they would have seen them like just 
<laughs> I left my kids at school all the time. Like, I was famous for that. And Travis Morris is here, and he was at Star when Taylor was there, and he could probably attest to the fact that I <laughs> would leave him there. <laughs> wow. Um, and so, anyways, with, um, you know, uh, we just began um, working for the church. Pastor said, build us children ministry. My husband said, it'll be better than Disneyland. Because uh, that was his heart. And so we began on our journey here at Celebration on staff. We were uh, children's pastors. We helped with college. We always helped with youth. We, uh, we just did some, some different things here at Celebration. And um, we were coming to a place where a pastor was asking us to now begin to help oversee some of our campuses. We had three campuses at the time. We had campus pastors. And he was just needing some help. And my husband was like, yes, you know, we'll do it. Um, one thing about my husband is he was a great man of faith, a uh, tremendous amount of faith, uh, dealt with a, an issue in his eye where his eye had gone. He'd had a, a fireworks accident, and uh, it, it blew up part of his face, and, and his eye was injured in it. Um, but we began on this journey, and um, man, have you ever, like, woke up and everything changed in your life? I went to bed on a Tuesday night, and um, I was a wife. I, I had a great friend system. I had a great husband, great family. Uh, things were opening up at church for us. But on Wednesday morning when I woke up, I woke up a widow. My husband had passed through the night. And our journey began as a family for the hardest, hardest moment of our life. And I can tell you right now, there were times I didn't know if I was going to make it. I didn't know how to do life without him. Everything we had built, everything that we had surrounded ourselves with was built with the intention of doing it together until Jesus came back home. You know, and in that moment, I knew that God was still good, and I knew that he was still God. And I remember there were times at night laying in my bed that was all I could say is, God, you're still good. God, you're so good. God, you're still faithful. God, you are, you are strong, God. You are my joy, God. You are my peace, God. Even if it didn't feel it, I had to remind myself of who my God was. And so my husband passed on a Wednesday, and um, this is why I love church so much, is my husband passed away on a Wednesday, and we had Saturday night service in our old Clovis building on Shaw. And we showed up for church because where else do you go when everything is falling apart, right? I knew that there were people that were in my church that could help us. And so we showed up there, and I'm going to be really honest with you. I stood on the front row, and I felt the loneliest in a room full of people I could have ever felt in my life. And I didn't have the unction to worship. Raising my hand, it felt like weights Weights, weights were on my arms. Like to even lift my arms was impossible for me. But when music started and the people around me began to worship God, I am telling you, peace came like no other. I felt strong. And it wasn't because I necessarily was worshiping, but it was because people like you chose to show up to church, chose to stand there and worship a God, and you don't know what your worship did. It helped me. It helped me, Lisa, Rick. It helped me. 
Jen, David, it helped me when these people began to worship. I knew that even though it was not good at the moment, I knew that God was with our family. I knew that we would not walk this through this alone. And we began a journey of like trying to, to rebuild our lives. And I knew that I had a daily surrender I had to do to God because I didn't want to raise kids alone. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want Taylor to graduate from high school and his dad not be there and Lance to get married and, and John not to be there and, you know, and Riley to do the things that Riley's doing and for him not to be there, it still hurts very deeply. But I'm telling you this, on the other side of that, what happened with our family is we sat down and we made a decision. We said, we are not gonna let the enemy win. We are going to pay him back for the harm that he caused us, and we are going to see more souls come into the kingdom of God than ever before. We decided that we were going to trust God. We were going to believe God. We were going to keep doing the things that my husband and I built our marriage on, which was serving the house of God. And a decision like that and a surrender like that changed the trajectory of our lives because now I look and I understand the scripture when it says he turns all things together for the good of those who love him, right? Every situation in your life, it, God begins to turn it around. It might not look good right now. It might not feel good right now. It might not, it might not be exactly what you wanted. And it might hurt a whole lot right now. But God is doing something behind the scenes that he is working things out. He's turning things around. He's, he's giving you a better tomorrow. And, and, and do we forget about who they are? No, this is the thing, is that we get, to, we get to live out my husband's legacy here on earth. We get to honor him every day when we get up and choose God first. We get to live out his name. We get to keep the Burgess name with a good reputation because we choose to follow God on a daily basis. And it's not, it's not always easy. But what makes it easy is that God has never left us, has never forsaken us. That, that, that in our hardest moments, God's presence is there. The other thing is that we've surrounded ourselves with people who believe the same thing. And we've, we've been around people who say, get up. You're not going to stay stuck like that. You know, when it first happened on, um, on that Wednesday and on that Thursday, um, I went with my girlfriends, and we call ourselves GFNs. I don't know why we call ourselves that. We just wanted a really cool, like, gang name. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we sat, we sat at Starbucks. We sat at Panera. We sat at Antonio's, whatever place had food. Uh, we were just sitting there, and they would give me napkins because they didn't have tissue. If you want to know something about Pastor Sheree, she does not have tissue in her purse. So if you're crying to her, you can expect a Starbucks napkin because that's what she does have in her purse. Um, and and they, would, they would let me cry. They would let me cry, but they didn't let me stay stuck. They would remind me, God still has a plan for you. God's, God's word says that his plans for you are good and not evil. He has a plan and a purpose, and they would remind me. And then I had people that were, would help me with my kids, that would take them to, you know, to school and, and do the things that we needed to do. But I'm telling you, we cannot stay stuck when tragedy hits our homes. The Man, the go-to would be, and I, want, I was there, I, I teetered on the edge of, like, living again or going into this deep, dark hole and not coming out. And I can tell you one thing. I knew how to self-medicate. 
I was good at that in years past, and I was faced with that decision, and I had to always say, Karina, no, you're going to do what God says you can do. And I have to remind myself, but I teetered on there. For a lot of us, that's where we're at. You know, and we went through this thing with Pastor um, a few weeks ago where he, he took us through the whole uh, purpose of giving our ashes, right? And we all did this, and we all did this. And how many of us picked up our ashes again a week later, right? And said, let me just scoop them up into this dustpan right here. Let me just pile them back in. Because sometimes when you empty yourself out like that, God begins to do a work in you, and it can be painful, right? Because he starts saying, like, hey, you're going to need to change this about you, or, hey, I'm going to need you to get rid of this, these people in your life. Hey, start, you know, coming to church every Sunday, not just one Sunday a month. You know, hey, you need to get back on the dream team. But I will tell you this, man, when you make that choice, God shows up. And does it, does it take the hurt completely away? Absolutely not. But there's purpose in it again. And so um, I want to take us through a, a story. Um, you can turn to the book of Ruth. Uh, <laughs> and I love Ruth. This is why. There's only two, uh, two books in the Bible that are named after women, Ruth and Esther. And, I mean, they're, in the, they're in, the, uh, in the ranks with, like, you know, Joshua and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Samuel and all of these things that you think people have done great things, and then there's Ruth. And you're like, what did she do? Like, she didn't have an army that she fought. She didn't chop off anyone's head. But she did something that I believe that we can learn from today. And so um, in this story, there's um, this woman named Naomi. And she and uh, her husband, they leave the land that they were, they were in because there was famine in the land. Things were going bad. It was like everybody trying to leave California for something better, right? And so they leave and they go to Moab. And uh, while they're there, they, uh, they have two sons. And the husband dies. And these two sons marry. They marry a woman named Ruth and a woman named Orpah. And I'm going to try really hard not to say Oprah, but it's Orpah. Um, and then tragically, about 10 years later, both of the sons die. So Naomi is sitting there, and she is not just a widow, but she's lost her two sons. And back in that culture, we all know that sons were, they, they helped, you know, with uh, carrying things on, and, and they took care of their families and things that we should still be doing, men. Taylor, <laughs> Lance. And so this leaves, uh, this leaves her alone. And, and so then Naomi gets word that back home, things are getting better, right? California's getting, you know, whatever. And, and the gas prices are going down. And so she starts saying, she tells the girls, like, hey, I'm going to go back. And so they start on this journey back. And somewhere along the journey, they stop. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. It's in uh, Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And Naomi says to them, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept, because that's what girls do. We cry a lot. Um, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No. My daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry anyone else? 
No, of course not, daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. She said, see ya. Um, But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone. She's gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. These are great marriage vows, by the way. Um, When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go to her, she said nothing more. I'm going to say that again. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And so the two of them continued on her journey. And uh, when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, uh, Naomi, the women asked? And so two things really quick I want to just tell you. When Ruth was determined to go, it shut up the voice that was trying to tell her to step out of her purpose and her plan. You know, there are times when you will say something. You know that you know that you know that God is calling you to do something. And when you say it, all of the people that would normally be trying to talk you out of the promises of God, it will silence them. Your confidence in knowing what you're supposed to do will silence them. You know, my son Taylor um, in 2020, um, when he graduated from high school, he told me, Mom, I'm not going to move away. He was going to go away to film school. And he said, no, I, I feel like I'm supposed to stay. And I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus, answers my prayers. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, but in 2020, he comes to me and he says, Mom, um, I have an interview with um, Elevation Church on Zoom. And I'm like, what? And so doing what any sane mom would do, I'm like listening in to the interview through the wall and trying to hear what he's saying. Um, and he comes out and he says, like, you know, they've, they've offered me this job and I kind of want to take it. And I'm like, okay, this isn't like L.A. This is 2,178 miles away in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I don't know those people. And I, I don't know that I can do that. And he said, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And he said, you need to trust me. I need to do this. And it silenced that voice in me that was trying to talk him out of what God called him to do. But then you have a praying mom that prays him back home, and he's home now. But so moms don't quit praying. But what's interesting about this is that when Naomi gets into the town, right, everyone starts saying, like, here's Naomi. They're cheering. They're not calling her anything but Naomi. And she goes on to tell her friends, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because life has been filled with sorrow, and it's been bitter, and God has brought me home empty. She puts this label on herself based on her circumstances, and she tells him, don't even call me by my name. Call me by something else, by what's happened to me. And so, you know, we don't, we don't know that her friends called her. They didn't, you know, ever go back and say, like, hey, Mara. They just, it, she leaves it at that. But in this town, there's this guy named Boaz, and just, I'm going to just clear this up right now. We're not talking about finding a husband today. Ladies, we'll talk about that on one of our women's sessions, but we're not talking about finding a husband. So, guys, you can relax a little bit. But if you want to find one, this is a good place to do it. So I'm just saying that. So there's this guy named Boaz, 
And he has all of these fields. And so Ruth decides that she's going to go and she's going to start trying to glean and pick up whatever scraps that she can as the workers are gathering harvest. And she finds favor with him. And so we go to Ruth uh, chapter 2 and in verse 8, it says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. And so Ruth fell at his feet, and she thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? I am only a foreigner. She was reminding him that, man, I'm not even part of your people here. And he said, yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord and the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied, and you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Man, just isn't that powerful? Like kind words can really change somebody's life. But what's amazing to me is that is that uh, Ruth's decision brought favor into her life. Like where she should not have had favor. She shouldn't have been allowed to go and glean and, and, and get any of the goods back there. Um, but the thing that amazes me about this is that she chose to continue to take care of Naomi. She chose to, to, to help uh, the older generation, the person that was like, you know, her mother-in-law and it was not her mom. She left her mom and her dad to go and help. And so the, so much opens up for her. And, and so Naomi begins to give Ruth some wisdom and instruction on what to do and how to handle herself. And it's a perfect, this is a perfect illustration of two, two generations working together. Because you've got the older generation who is in their pain still, trying to work things out, who's feeling bitter, but still turns her heart to give some advice to the next generation. And that generation is turning going, okay, what should I do? What should we do now? And it, and it goes on to say that there were times when, when he would uh, feed uh, Ruth, Boaz would feed Ruth, they would eat, and she would still take and carry some of it back home to Naomi. It doesn't happen quickly. Uh, Ruth finding Boaz and getting married and all of this stuff happening, it doesn't happen quickly. Time passes, but she continues to do the work. She continues to take instruction. She continues to do what she's supposed to be doing. And, and we watch that God begins to open everything up. And it's interesting because, you know, Boaz continues to give her favor, and he even speaks to the next person that's in line that's supposed, that really should be marrying her, and he says, like, hey, I'm going to take her. And they're like, oh, okay, you can take her. And um, and this is the, we think this is the good part, right? This is where we, we end a lot of the story, is that we see that, like, she found Boaz. She got a husband. She became wealthy, and, you know, she got her husband, and she got Boaz. And you see on Instagram and Facebook, they sell shirts that say, while you're waiting for Boaz, stay away from da-da-da. <laughs> I'm not even going to say them. But this is the thing. That's not the, um, the immediate, that's not what struck me when I read the story. What struck me is that Ruth, her decision to stay and continue on this journey, her, con her decision to move past her hurt, this is what it did. It said that she, when she married Boaz 
And when he married her, he, he bought a field for her. And he specifically says in, verse, in uh, chapter 4, he talks about how this field is going to stay in that family name. He was taking care of Naomi in that. But anyways, he said, this is what happened. And she marries Boaz. She has a son, and they name him Obed. And then Obed is the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. Ruth's one decision put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Her one decision to say, no, I'm not going back. I'm going to stay, lines her up for God's plan and purpose. This is how God can turn things around for good, out of pain, out of ashes. Something beautiful came out, right? Okay, here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn, we're going to take, we're going to take some stuff home. Because this is what happens. Tragedy hits. Trouble hits. And there's some things that we can learn from the characters in this story that will help us. Number one, Orpah. Right? She chooses comfortability. You have a choice. You can choose what's comfortable in your life. If you stay with what's comfortable, you will not grow. If you stay with what's comfortable, you will not grow. When you are challenged to do something, to go to the next level, it requires some work that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. My daughter is a runner, and she trains a lot. Like, she runs. And you can tell by this, I just drive and make sure she's running in the right direction. Drinking my Starbucks. Um, But she trains And she trains to the degree that sometimes I see her body hurt um, because she does other things too. She cheers and and does crazy stuff. But um, she trains. Well, they do this thing where they do their whole workout, and then they push their body past the comfortable zone. So they've done this workout, and then they do these, like, 400s, which I don't know what that is, but... Sounds rough. Um, and actually what it is is that they, they do some speed running after a long run. And this trains their body to go past what could be comfortable. I mean, your body has to already hurt after running, you know, eight miles. But they push their body past it. And they train themselves. You, you cannot stay comfortable and expect to grow in your life. There are things that God will require you to do in order to get to the next level. For instance... If you're about to get married, God will cause you to delete all the old numbers off of your phone, right? You're not going to be able to be talking to, you know, Janine and, you know, Sammy and, you know, all these other people and and head towards getting. That might be uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable for you to say, like, you know what, I'm not going to be able to hang out at Jimbo's with you anymore. Like, I have to move past that. You know, the Old Town Saloon is not my hangout anymore. I have to, like, do other things because I'm about to get married. You know, or perhaps you're in this place and you're serving on our dream team and, and it, we come and talk to you about, like, hey, we need you to become a coach. Well, becoming a coach means you have to actually like people. And so you have to get out of your comfort zone of, like, checking in on people and praying with them and making sure they're okay. But, man, that opens up a door of blessing for your life. And I'm going to do a plug for serving right now because a lot of you guys aren't serving. I don't see your Dream Team shirts on. And what happens is when you serve, you, you connect your legacy to something bigger than what you're at. 
So your kids, if you have kids in this place, and you're like, man, I want my kids to love Jesus, and I want them, they're going to love Jesus to the degree that you love Jesus as you're showing them that. So when you show up and you say, I'm going to greet, or I'm going to hold that cone out in the parking lot, what happens is your young son watches you, and he watches you do this week after week, and pretty soon he's helping you set up the cones, and he's getting your vest for you. And then when he's 12 years old, 13 years old, when all of his friends are starting to try out pot and all that, he's serving in the parking lot right? And so you think, you think we just want you to like come and do work. No, we're setting you up for a legacy of people that love God and serve God. I don't care if you have to have a baby strapped onto your little thing while you're greeting, do it. Like, or better yet, put them in our children's nursery because we pray over those babies and hold them. And so we can't expect to stay comfortable and move forward. You cannot stay in this part and expect to move forward. And so what's interesting about Orpa is that she chooses comfortability. She chooses to run back home. She cut and run. She'd already said, no, I'm going with you. And then the second chance she had, she turned around and went in the other direction. We never hear her name again in the Bible. There's nothing. I looked. There's nothing about her. Her decision her decision just left her in obscurity. I'm not saying she had a bad life, but, but we don't hear anymore about what God was doing in her life, right? So then we have Naomi, and Naomi chooses what's familiar. Now, familiar is different than comfortable because familiar is something that you can associate with. And sometimes being around some familiar things, like for those of you guys that like left God for a while and then you came back, um, in fact, I was uh, talking to somebody, and they were telling me about how, um, I'm going to share the story this morning, they were telling me about how they were just, like, not coming to church, and they were just, you know, trying to watch online, and, and God kind of, like, said, hey, you need to get back to church. He's like, I walked through the doors, and I saw welcome home. He's like, and I felt like I'm supposed to be there. And so that's familiar. And so Naomi, she goes back to what's familiar in her hometown but she goes back with a different purpose. She doesn't have a husband that she has to care for anymore. She goes back and she get, begins to pour her life into somebody else. And guess what? When, when Ruth had that baby, the Bible says that they placed that baby, all of her friends, everybody that she said, call me bitter, call me bitter. Um, they, she, <laughs> I just laugh that she did that. But anyways, um, she holds that baby and she begins to care for her. And then people begin to tell her, like, he's going to be famous and he's going to redeem you. And this child, this child brought life back to her again. Because even though it wasn't a blood lineage, she was connected to this lineage. And so she went back with new purpose. She chose what was familiar and she continued with her purpose. And then we have Ruth. And Ruth chose faithfulness. She couldn't be shaken from what her desire was. She wanted to go with Ruth. She didn't want to leave her. She wanted to be a part of what, I mean, sorry, Naomi. She wanted to be a part of whatever Naomi was doing. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Naomi had to be doing something to live right. Because why would you choose to walk away from everything you know and go into a foreign land unless you knew? Why would we choose to come from Bend, Oregon to Fresno, California, unless something in us was showing us that, man, there is some fruit there that we have to connect ourselves to? She, Ruth, chooses faithfulness. She stuck with her decision. 
And I can imagine that along the journey, the thoughts are coming, right? Have you ever had thoughts like just, you're like heading towards something and thoughts are coming going, mm, are you sure about that? Mm, that is really scary. That is, I'll tell you guys a story. I was, uh, <laughs> um, so you know I love the Oregon Ducks. You're about to learn that I am like really not comfortable with roller coasters, especially outdoor ones. And so um, I went with um, some friends. We were um, at a cheer competition, and it was in Orange County. So we went to Disneyland or uh, California Adventure. And my daughter and her friend, they decide to, like, challenge us moms to go on um, Screaming California at the time. I don't know what it is now, Incredicoaster or something. Anyways, and it's the one with the big loop, and then you go, and so... We, you know, and I'm like, I'm trying to act tough, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'm going to do it. Inside, my thoughts are going crazy, going, you know, people have fallen off of roller coasters. You know, uh, you know, it's going to be like G-force, you know, and just telling me all of these things about it. And I'm like getting weird inside, and so I get in, and I strap myself in, and I'm sitting next to my friend Sophia, and and Sarah and Riley are in behind us, and they're strapped in, and I'm looking to make sure we're all strapped, and I'm tugging on the thing, and like, and we take off, and when you take off, man, it was like Botox, crazy, like my face is back, I'm looking 18 again, and I'm loving it, I was not loving it. But we go and we do this loop, right? And as soon as we do the loop, I'm like this and I can barely look and I can't see Sophia. <laughs> I cannot see her. I see the strap to her purse that she put in front in that little like holding packet. I see it flapping and it was a red purse. I see this thing like flapping. I start screaming, Sophia, Sophia, I'm crying, Sophia. Like the thoughts that were in my head <laughs> never got adjusted, and I thought she had flown off the roller coaster. We pull into the station, right, because this ride is like all of 90 seconds, right? We pull into the station. I am so shook up, I cannot even get out. They're like trying to help me out of the thing. And I'm like shaking, and Riley's like, get out, get out. <laughs> if you know my daughter, she's always like, when I fall, she's like, get up, get up. Anyway, she's like, get out. And so, but what it was was that the the... The roller coaster, yes. It was, <laughs> if you haven't ridden it, I don't highly suggest it. But, <laughs> but it was the thoughts in my head. I was going to do something I had purpose to do, and there were thoughts in my head that were saying, are you sure? Like, do you really want to do that? And that's, I, I can imagine that that happened with Ruth. She's walking down, and, like, you're starting to see, like, the gates, you know, and, and starting to see the signs and population of, and she's starting to think, like, I don't have a job. Like, I don't know anybody. Am I going to make any friends? Like, what am I going to do with my life? My mom and my friends and my family, everyone's back home. But she chose faithfulness. She could not be talked out of what she felt she was supposed to do. And for some of us in this place, we've been talked out of something. You can go back to what you've been talked out of. Those of you that were, like, planning on starting a business and doing something and you've been talked out of it, Get that back on the table. Get that back in your prayer life. There are some things that Ruth found when she made this decision. She found peace. She found people. She began to surround herself with a different group of people, people that gave her favor, people that 
saw her for what she was worth and had heard good things about her. She found protection and she found purpose again. And so my prayer for you is that in the middle of whatever you're facing, as you give your ashes to God continually, as you turn it over to God, that, that, you, would, that you would sense that God is doing something that's bigger, that's better. Man, our best days are ahead. We are not stuck in our past. Man, it does not mean that I don't love and miss my husband 10,000 degrees. I miss him so much. There are days that I'm just like, John, you should be here. You should be here for this. You should be here to see her run. You should be here to see Taylor get on one knee and ask Katie to marry him. You should be here. But in that, I still sense purpose in my life. I still know that God's good. I still know that he's at work. It doesn't take it doesn't take all out away. We don't forget about them. But we stay on mission and we stay focused. And what that does is it brings our lineage behind us. You know, I told you that my husband um, his eye was injured. And so when it injured, it he had to have like a cornea transplant and a retina reattachment. And it was very painful for him, and his, his desire was to save his eye. Um, and this happened when he was in Bible college, and so he was, man, he was uh, just fiery, and he was going to pray, and he was going to believe, and when I married him, I joined in on that. I said, I will support you 1,000%. We will pray. We spent hours, 15 years of praying for his left eye. And in the course of that, things happened. Like we moved to San Diego, and the UV rays from San Diego were really strong, and that eye began to die. And so we had to, he, we had to make a decision of whether we go with a transplant for an artificial eye or, or do we you know, continue to watch this thing die. And we had people on both sides of the fence going, don't you believe in God? You don't know. Let me just tell you something. When you're facing this, listen to medical attention and then be led by the Spirit of God. Right, and so we knew, we knew what we had to do. We were going to go ahead and, and do the replacement for his eye, and so we did that. And it didn't come at a great time. It came at a time right, like weeks after Taylor was born. Um, Lance had broken his arm. When we showed up at the hospital one day, Lance Lance breaks his arm. Right, and, and let me just tell you, if Lance tells you that a shark bit him when he was surfing the waves of San Diego, no, he ran into a fire hydrant being on a skateboard he was not supposed to be on. So we we get in the car and we go, and <laughs> this is just funny, just because you I just like you guys to know who we are just like that but we show up at Kaiser in, in, in San Diego Taylor uh, Lance is like bleeding and like just got towels wrapped around him and he gets out of the car and I'm like this pregnant and I get out of the car and John has a patch on his eye because they started some procedures and they're like who's here who are we here for you know and uh but, you know, we, we, we went through that process of him getting this artificial eye, and it didn't change the fact, because I remember my husband looking at me going, a creative miracle is a creative miracle. Whether he takes something that's dead and brings it back to life, or whether he creates a new eye out of something that's there, a miracle is a miracle. We're not going to hold back. God, we're not going to hold him back on this. We're not going to put him in a box. 
And I'm like, okay, so we would contend. And there were times where he would see, because he could see nothing out of this eye. But there were times where he could see light flash like this, or he could see shadows. I remember one time we were worshiping in the old Clovis building, and we were worshiping, and, and it was after service. It was like we'd gone through the message, and then we went back into worship. And he's like, I can see stuff. I can see stuff out of this eye. I can see stuff. I'm like, okay, we're going to stand and we're going to believe. Well, my husband passed away before we saw that miracle. And a few weeks ago, somebody asked me, like, hey, are you disappointed that you didn't see the miracle in your husband's eye? You know, you guys prayed for a long time. Did that, like, hurt? And I was like, ouch. I don't know what hurts more, your question? or. <laughs> um, but this is the thing. My husband and I, it was a dead thing. It was something that was like, you know, something that we were contending for. And we spent a lot of years contending for that. And we didn't see the actual miracle that we were believing for happen in him. But a few years ago, my granddaughter Landon, we thought, we thought she had a cold that had kind of landed in her eye because her eye was looking a little bit different. And we went through some tests, and um, we found out that she had a small tumor at the base of her skull. And we met as a family, and we made some decisions about how we were going to pray. That, that tumor was sitting on her optic nerve, and it was causing it what should be a, a red vessel was almost white. It was very light pink and white. And they're like, yeah, this is, you know, affecting her eyesight, left eye. And so we sat down and as a mom of grown children, then you have to step back a little bit because I wanted to get in there and I wanted to hang out with Tim and Debbie and go like, what are we believing? And let's tell them what to do. But we had to step back and we had to let them lead our family on what they believe what they believe God for. And this is why it's important who you married. Because I heard out of my daughter-in-law's uh, mouth say, I don't care what anybody says. We're standing on God's word. He's a healer. And so we did what families do. We met, we ate, we tied bracelets around us. We said, we're going to pray. We're not going to let go of this. So years have gone by. We'd go back for tests and they would, they would measure the tumor and they would do this and that. And a few months ago, after her appointment, we get the report that we don't see anything. And so Gianna says, you mean it's shrunk? And they're like, we don't see it at all. Not only that, but the report we got in her left eye is that there's an island in which there is sight coming back to it. The prayers we pray, this is what God showed me. The prayers that we were praying and believing for John's eye. The, the Bible talks about our prayers go into this big bowl in heaven. And, and God just showed me that he was just tipping that bowl out. And the answers that we were praying for, we weren't seeing the miracle in John's eye, but we were seeing the miracle in Landon's eye. That's how God works. That's how God, good God is. That's his promise beauty for ashes the exchange of God's goodness for the things that are hurting you how long are we going to sit and just say 
God, whatever happens, happens. We're not doing that anymore. We're exchanging the pain and the hurt and the disease and the divorce and the depression and the, and the mislabeling of us. We're exchanging that for something so good, something so powerful, something that will live on beyond you. What my husband fought for for years in his life, he, we are now seeing the benefits of what he fought for. We're seeing the reward come out of that. God wants to do that. God wants to do that for you and for you and for you. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in the middle of our hurt. And I'm telling you, I know what the pain feels like. But if you can just believe a little bit and step out of that and go, okay, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. Here you go, God. I know that God will do something. I know for the person watching online, I know that God will do something for you. Debbie, he will do it for you. God, God's desire is for a good life for all of us. God's desire, and you have to know that he is for you. He's fighting for you. God's not leaving you stuck. If you choose to come out of it and come out of the ashes and take one step, God will meet you. I've watched him do it in my life. He is good and he is faithful. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus. 